funny how? It'd be funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. gentlemen welcome to another episode of the silver screen video with your host jonathan and jacob we'll go ahead and get this out of the way now up front guys we're late it's a little late you know we were we were doing the christmas thing drinking eggnog you know things happen i I don't know you know i don't like eggnog so i don't know why i said that jacob how are you you know what's you know what's worse than late never that's true better late than never is a saying that uh that I kind of made up when I was a kid and it caught on. So, <laughs> uh, do you like eggnog, dude? I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm gonna be straight up honest with you. I am not sure that I have ever had like alcoholic eggnog. Like it's okay. supposed to be made. You know what I mean? I don't think I don't know if I've ever had it. Honestly. Okay. Because I because I have and I didn't like it. But then, like, I made the eggnog joke about insinuating it had alcohol in it. I've never had that either. So, yeah, I don't know. Does eggnog, I mean, I'm assuming, like, the original, I mean, I guess if there is an original recipe. But, like, uh, eggnog, like, originally is an alcoholic drink, right? It's not something that was a drink and then people added alcohol to? I don't know. Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't know. Let's dedicate the next 15 minutes to finding out and discussing eggnog. I don't even know what it is. I'm going to look it up on Wikipedia. Uh, Anyway, no, we won't be doing that. Guys, we have a lot, a lot to discuss this week because Jacob has been doing some holiday watching and he is ready to rock and roll on some pretty heavy hitters. Um, So I will go first because mine are easy. Uh, I have two movies I want to bring up real quick. One of them we've talked about on this podcast before does uh, a uh, store around the corner shop around the corner. Excuse me. <laughs> almost, <laughs> almost at it. Anyway, rewatch that with a group that had never seen it and they all loved it because it rocks, right? It's a great movie. You know, Jimmy Stewart. It's great. But mm-hmm. you know, this was my third time watching it. And um, that woman was insane. And I just, I didn't really get that the first two viewings. But Wait, she was which... talking, the, the lead, I, I cannot think of her name. I'll look it up, though. She was talking about how when she was going to meet Jimmy Stewart uh, for, for the, at the end, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and she's telling everybody, oh, I'll be engaged next time you see me. Oh, I'll be, I'll be married. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mrs. Novak, by the way, Margaret Sullivan. She was great in the movie, but it was like, Jesus, man, you are fucking insane. What are you talking about? You've never even seen this man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of a little bit of a psycho. Um, But dude, the end of the movie is so great. Like, as we discussed already, we don't have to rehash all of it. But I mean, it's like the the, the interaction with the with the delivery boy and and the boss and then the interaction with James Stewart and and Margaret. So everything about like, dude, this movie is so charming. Like it, it'll really it'll get like if you if you've never seen it, like it, you're going to like it. Like, it's just a really fucking charming movie. Yeah, the um the scene in the cafe where Jimmy Stewart knows that that who she is, but he doesn't know who she, but she doesn't know who he is yet. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, like dude, there's certain stuff like there's certain like 
the best of Lubitsch, like, you know, Nanochka and Shop Around the Corner and the best of like, you know, Howard Hawks and stuff where it's just like, dude, I, I'm sorry, but movies don't get better than this. You know what I mean? Like, they're just, this is the peak of the form right here, you know, and I feel that way. I feel that way about Shop Around the Corner, man. It's so good. I didn't I didn't rewatch it this holiday season, but I mean, I've seen I've seen it a dozen times and it never gets old. Uh, yeah, that's why I just wanted to bring it up. So is there still a little time to squeeze a holiday movie in, you know, Christmas movie, whatever you want to watch. So check it out if you haven't. Um, the other movie bring up real quick that is also Christmas related and not a horror movie, which I'm sure you'll be happy about. This oh. movie has been on my list a while. And uh, I finally got around to watching it. It's from 2017. It's called The Man Who Invented Christmas. Are you familiar with this movie? Not at all. It's got Dan Stevens, who I'm a big fan of, uh, Christopher Plummer, Jonathan Price. It's it's got it's got a pretty good it's got a pretty good cast. And Dan Stevens plays Charles Dickens, and it's about when Dickens was writing A Christmas Carol. Oh, and okay. Like it's dude, don't get me wrong. A lot of it's kind of cheesy and whatever, but I think it works really well. Like as a story that like the, the, the plot mechanisms work, the way he sees his characters, the way like he, he get, writes the book. And I looked it up cause I didn't know this, but the movie's fairly accurate in terms of Dickens did churn that out in six weeks and he did self publish and he did lose money. So it's cool. I had no idea one of the greatest stories ever written. I mean, I love Christmas Carol. I love every version of it. I think it is it is a a fantastic story that I, I never get tired of either reading or, or watching. Um, I cannot believe he wrote it in six weeks. Like that's crazy. Like he he apparently pitched his regular publisher, and they were like, no. So he's like, fuck it, I'll, I'll publish it myself. So he had to write it, get it to the printers, get an illustrator. And do all that shit in a span of six weeks to get it out before Christmas. Damn, I didn't know all that. Yeah, Dickens is, um, dude, he was a wordslinger, man. He was getting paid by the word, uh, especially early on in his career. And, like, I mean, he, I know he was just, like, firing stuff out like it was nothing, man. You know, kind of similar to, like, Shakespeare in that regard, where, like, the output the amount of output in the, in the amount of time was just so fast and furious, especially in the early days. Well, what's really interesting, and this is something I have not had time to look up, but from what I've, the little bit of reading I've done, he really did change the way people celebrate Christmas. I had no idea what profound effect this had on society. Like, really, when he told people he was writing, now this is in a movie, so mind you, I, I've only did a little bit of Googling in terms of enough to see that it it does, it, it is pretty accurate in terms of, how it showed how he sell how he changed the way we view Christmas. But people were kind of taken aback when he would tell them, Oh, I'm writing a book about Christmas. It's like, Oh, who gives a shit about Christmas? Like it was oh. really bizarre. So apparently like I want to do more independent research just cause I'm very curious, but yeah, apparently like this really did alter the way people viewed that holiday as a whole. I thought, I thought that was really interesting. Well, you know, it makes it makes sense. I mean, in a way, because I mean, that was, you know, when you talk about the kind of cultural effect of Dickens work, I mean, he was, you know, basically writing in the 18, he was a social critic in the 1800s and um, was such a popular writer that a lot of the stuff that he wrote about um, ended up like influencing changes in society. Like, for example, 
uh, this is speculation, but I can imagine that like, you know, there were some upper class people who read a Christmas Carol and thought, wait a second, these motherfuckers have to work on Christmas. That's not right. You know what I mean? Like that there was a lot of, there was a lot of that going on in Dickens work where you would have these, you know, upper class people who would read about the plight of the, you know, the poor and unfortunate, and it would actually bring about like real world changes, you know? Um, so that's kind of interesting when you think about it in regards to like specifically Christmas, you know? And, and also I'm a sucker for this, but at the end he met somebody at the train station and he was like, Oh, what's your name? And he's like, Oh, David Copperfield. Um, <laughs> Dude. I'm a, I'm a sucker for that because I love that novel. So uh, yeah. dude, that, I, that is the stupidest plot device, but it works <laughs> on me every time. It's like, it, it, like, like midnight in Paris, that Woody Allen movie is j- basically a movie. That's nothing but 90 minutes of that, you know? Oh yeah. Where yeah. Owen Wilson is like, by the way, what's your name? And he's like, Ernie, Ernie Hemingway. And it, like, <laughs> and me, when I'm watching it, I'm like, Oh shit, it's Ernest Hemingway. Like, <laughs> yeah, dude, like, it, it, it works. Yeah. I love that shit. Um, but yeah, that's it, man. So, so take it away. Tell us, tell us, let's, let's discuss some of these heavy hitters you've watched. Cause one of them, uh, may or may not be on my top 10. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been watching a lot of movies and, you know, I think also we should let the cat out of the bag a little bit. You know, we're going to do something a little bit different, uh, for our end of the year, um, kind of recap because there's so many movies that have come out that are kind of worthy of discussion. And, you know, normally if you're a longtime listener, you're used to us doing our top 10 lists and, you know, sometimes we kind of have to rush through those and we don't get to spend a lot of time talking about some of the movies we really admire. And um, so, so yeah, we're going to do something a little bit different where we kind of um, dedicate the month of January to a kind of what we've been watching, but only limited to stuff that came out this year, you know, so like, for instance, I've been watching, I watched the Kelly Reichardt movie, uh, showing up. I watched past lives recently, um, unrest anatomy of a fall. And we're going to kind of spread those out through the month of January, um, along with a bunch of stuff that you're watching and a bunch of stuff we're planning on watching, uh, asteroid city, you know, Bo is afraid, things like that. And, uh, we're not going to dedicate as much time to them as we would, you know, our normal double features, like two, two movies per episode. Um, but we're going to dedicate a little more time to them than we usually do in our traditional uh, top 10 lists. So uh, be on the lookout for that. I'm excited. I think this is going to be really fun. Yeah, no, I'm excited too. And it is like, you know, we, we don't get screeners and all that. So it's difficult when you, when you have all these movies coming out because you're trying to pile them up, but also like if you're trying to make a list, like it's next to impossible not to have, like recency bias kind of play into it. Right, right. So it's really nice to be able to let it breed. So hopefully while doing that, it'll, it'll make it easier because yeah, there's just so many fucking movies that are, I mean, it's, you know, we're in award season as well. So there's so many movies hitting VOD and hitting theaters. And clearly I don't have access to a lot of those the way you do. Like you could probably go see most of the movies in theaters that I, I'm never going to get here in theaters. So, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 um, yeah, it's just such a complicated operation towards the end of the year. Um, because all the fucking good movies come out at the same time. It seems like, I mean, obviously there are exceptions, but you know, they just all come out and they're all hitting VOD and we both have different priorities. And so, yeah, we figured it'd be a good idea just to like 
I don't know, do something a little more comprehensive and a little, uh, um, cause there's a lot of, well, there's a lot of cool shit to talk about. Even if, um, you know, the movie, so some of the movies that aren't like maybe disappoint or whatever, will still be a little, you know, fun to talk about in a kind of end of the year context. But, uh, that being said, I, uh, today, uh, I think we're, before we get into our, our new year's, uh, double feature, um, cause God knows we love a holiday themed episode. Um, really keeps it evergreen. Yeah, uh, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna talk about uh, talk about two movies I recently watched: Mission Impossible, which are kind of related, uh, big action tentpole movies of the year. Mission Impossible, man, I don't even seven. Is it seven? I think it is. Yes, it is seven. I believe. Okay, yeah, yeah, seven. It makes sense because yeah, six was yeah. Okay, so Mission Impossible, whatever this is, Dead Reckoning Part One. Is it Dead Reckoning? It is Dead Reckoning, and what's funny okay. is they they're completely changing the sequel because this one oh, underperformed. Really? Yeah, because a week later, Barbie and Oppenheimer just came in and killed it. Like it just destroyed any hope uh, of box office. So okay, okay. Yeah, they're going to rewrite it as well to make it work a little better. Yeah, so we're going to talk about that and John Wick Four uh, for a little bit. Um, I don't know. Let's start with Mission Impossible just because uh, I don't know that you just mentioned that about the sequel. It's interesting that they're completely writing the sequel. Um, I don't know. Well, they're they're, you... ma- they're making some changes. They've already been filming it from what I've read. They're just making they're making some changes. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to get rid of the part two in some way. I really mm. wouldn't be surprised if they did that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That. The part one, part two thing, I mean, it just, man, I feel like it never works, you know? I mean... Well, uh, Tom Cruise really had to fight them, because he was like, I do not want a cliffhanger ending. That's bullshit. I don't want to do it. So he really had to fight them, because they did not want to let go of that. They thought a cliffhanger ending was a great idea. And there isn't a cliffhanger ending, but there also, it is part one. So it's like like a mini cliffhanger almost, you know? Yeah. Um. I don't know. Remind me what you thought of this movie because you saw it like a normal person when it came out. Um, I don't remember you having a lot of thoughts on it. Do do you? Uh, I don't know. What was your take on this movie? Yeah, I remember. Um, and you know, for for longtime listeners, you'll remember I was I was amped for this movie. I'm a big fan of of the franchise. I'm a big fan of Cruise. I'm a fan of what they're doing. Uh, him and him and uh, McQuarrie. But uh, I did not care for this movie. I didn't dislike it. But like I went into this movie and I'm like, fuck, this is my first viewing. You know, I'm going to be back in a few days. I got to let it marinate, come back because it's fucking Mission Impossible and it rocks. And I've seen all the other ones multiple times in theaters. I did a full rewatch preparing for this movie. And then I just kind of fell uh, after the movie. And I was just like, this feels disappointing. Hmm. Like we've seen the stunts. I don't know if you rewatched anything, but I mean, dude, it. I think I even mentioned to you, like rewatch at least one before you go see this, because they bring back some characters from one, they they kind of put in a character very similar to what Fast X did with Jason Momoa that just didn't really work for me. And uh, the one? action, uh, the guy who who killed the partner, the guy from Ethan's past. Um, oh, the yeah 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 Gabriel, yeah. right? Yeah. So like you know, having the entity. And a, a lot of it felt like Mission Impossible 1. The train thing, like, 
nothing really seemed fresh. And I was really surprised. And I honestly, I think it's because of a little bit because of Macquarie, because before we would have new directors come in, you know, woo, uh, Abrams, uh, Brad Bird. Uh, Brad, Brad Bird did what I think is the best one, Ghost Protocol. But then, like, McQuarrie works really well with Tom Cruise, so he came in, and I feel like it's getting a little stale. We need a different voice. I think that's how we'll get different different stunts. We'll get different ideas. So, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not saying I'll never rewatch it, but I was disappointed, like, legitimately. I mean, I, you know... I wasn't probably as disappointed as you were, but it it is starting to feel a little stale. And I do like the franchise um, quite a bit. I did I did rewatch the first one actually. I took your advice and rewatched the first one. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Before I watched this one, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's some things I like about this movie. You know, for anybody who hasn't seen it, or um, maybe you have seen it, the plot details are pretty confusing either way. Um, it's basically AI as the villain, which I think is actually a pretty cool idea. Um, It's not executed that well. I don't feel like because it's part one, you know what I mean? Like they film it as part one and like he finds the MacGuffin at the end of part one, but then, well, the MacGuffin is the key, you know, he finds the key and then, then it's like, well, now it's time to find what the key unlocks. And it's like, well, all right, I guess let me know when it's out. You know, like it just feels kind of incomplete in that way. Um, and yeah, some of the stuff really doesn't work. I mean, the uh, the train sequence I thought was incredible. There's there's the, <laughs> the one thing I really did like is when the train is falling off the bridge and they keep having to climb up the uh, falling train cars, you know? Um, I thought that was a great scene. I uh, I liked it, but I will say, like, Jurassic Park did that and did it better, you know? Well, um, okay. That's, yeah, I, I was thinking about that Jurassic Park scene. But, I mean, you know, borrow from the greats. I mean, I think that's one of the, that is such a great sequence. But this almost took that concept and turned it into, like, a Buster Keaton type thing. Because they just keep crawling up the one train car and then all of a sudden the train starts falling again. And so they have to climb up it again. It really was like a, I don't know, it's kind of a gag almost. Um, no, I liked it. Don't get me wrong, but it was just, it just felt like, man, I've, I've seen this before and mission impossible. I always depended on to yeah. bring me something I haven't seen before. You're right. You're right. And the big stunt of the movie is him. You know, I'm sure anybody who follows movies has seen it on Twitter or online or whatever. It's him jumping off him jumping off the motorcycle and then parachuting down. And it's like, am am I, am I wrong here? Or is this like a downgrade from previous stunts? Like, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, it absolutely is a downgrade from previous stunts. Cause like, he's just like, he's just kind of like parachuting off a cliff. Right. Like that's, I mean, I'm yeah. Granted he's on a helicopter, but it's, that's actually feels like it's even less dangerous because then you get a good like running go. You know what I mean? So like, I mean, compared to the other movies, I mean, what are some of the other stunts? He, he like flies, uh, he like flies a helicopter and then the one he's like on the side of a Learjet as it's taking off. And you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like there were bigger stunts in the other movies, you know? Oh, I agree. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, this, this whole thing felt still, and I am not a big fan of the, 
of the AI plot line. I just feel mm-hmm. like that's really like clearly it's relevant to the world that we're living in right now, but I also feel like it didn't really bring anything new. It's it's really funny. Chris Nolan got asked if he was going to do an AI movie and he was like, why would I do that when 2001 Space Odyssey exists? Mm. Like, why would I make an AI movie when something did it and already did? And, and I, I agree between that movie and Terminator, it's like, I don't think you can do AI better. So I just thought it was, I don't know. It was kind of a bland villain. You know, that's just my opinion, but. I mean, you're, you're right. It is a bland villain, but I do think there's, I do think there's a kernel of an idea there because the thing is, how do you defeat this? How do you defeat the all knowing algorithm? Right? Like, I think that's kind of less the AI part is kind of almost besides the point because like AI, you know, the AI becoming sentient or whatever, it's like, okay, well who cares? You know, like, okay, it becomes a sentient being. Well then that's not as, that's just as terrifying as any other supervillain. But I think the kind of algorithm thing where it's like, no, 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 it knows where you're at. It knows what you're doing at all times. It's actively trying to fool you and predicting the future. You know, and I know it's a, I know it's AI, but like in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's the scarier thing that, that kind of like all knowing algorithm that is doing all these computations and figuring out all these different mathematical models to basically predict human behavior, you know, um, which I guess is the same thing as AI. I don't know the difference, but like, you know, it, it felt like that's even a little bit scarier, scarier than an AI becoming like sentient, you know? But they didn't really do anything with it because the AI doesn't get defeated. And the AI isn't even that big of a factor. Like, literally, most of the movie, they're just looking for a key. You know, like, it's 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 just kind of a globe-hopping spy movie, which is fine, I guess. Um, but I will say one thing that I was disgruntled about is there's a character death, which we will not spoil, because maybe a lot of people haven't seen it, but I thought it was cheap and dumb and... Uh, I just didn't like it at all. Dude, don't even get me started on that. I, I no. Yeah, I don't like it. Didn't like it one bit. Um, I really like that character, really like that actress. Just stop it. It was stupid. Um Haley Atwell, has she ever been good in anything? Hey, you know what? I don't want to sound like one of those people, but I really I thought she was great in Captain America. I really did. So yeah, I mean, okay. I mean, I can see how she was. Yeah, she. Did, I guess she did bring something to that role. I don't know. She really fell flat for me in this movie. She was an addition. Oh, no idea why she's in this movie. No offense to no offense to Miss Atwell, but no idea why she's in this fucking movie. Yeah, I mean, glad she's getting a paycheck. Congrats, et cetera. But like, you know, yeah, I don't. And also, like, th- th- there's a weird Tom Cruise love connection thing going on where they try to convince you that ethan hunt is like it's like the women that you that you the women that you're around die and it's like what do you mean women that he's around like is am i supposed to believe ethan hunt is in love with any of these women because like it really doesn't seem like tom cruise has like a sexual bone in his body and like you know top gun like the the top gun remake had to really lay it on thick to get us to believe tom cruise was interested in sex with anybody (laughs) like I don't know. They're just, there's no chemistry there. Tom Cruise is giving like no sex appeal. You know, he looks like he's like a Ken doll who, you know, he's just, he's the perfect human being, but I can't imagine him being attracted to a woman, you know? 
we're having a nice conversation about Mission Impossible, and you start cruise bashing. So I'm not. Dude, I'm, gonna, not I'm not. I'm not bashing Cruise. But you gotta admit, he's not some kind of great on-screen lover. You know, like that's not true. When I think Tom Cruise, I only think of him as a great on-screen lover. <laughs> all, right, all right. Well, I'm just saying, Tom Cruise doesn't have any. You know, it's not believable that he's you know, even remotely interested in having sex with any woman who's ever in a movie with him. I feel like, you know, what's Um, funny is I agree with you and it almost feels like Scientology had a hand in mm. casting for this movie because they were like, we're going to get him married one way or the other. So let's cast Haley Atwell. Let's see what happens. Like, (laughs) Like they're trying to just throw women in front of him. Like, Hey, you like this boy? Do you like this one? Yeah, like, cause we need, like, they need him to kind of be tied down a little bit, so so he he comes back to the flock. So, right. Yeah, I think they rumor, want, ha- they rumor want... has it they had a falling out. So who knows? Who uh, Cruz and Scientology? Yeah, maybe he asked where. You no, know what? I'm not going to make a Scientology joke. I'm legitimately afraid of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, delete. Delete. <laughs> um. Yeah. Let's just move on. Scientology is a is a is a good religion and that's perfectly just good religion welcomes all yeah does not commit any acts of atrocity towards humans <laughs> does not never kidnap, done anything wrong abuse. in my book yeah no totally fine <laughs> um yeah i don't know not a lot to say about mission impossible it was i feel like it was fine but there's a lot of scenes of like exposition and stuff where i'm just like dude like like there's like because it's obviously really long because every fucking movie is three hours long nowadays but like there's a scene where like in the aftermath of like a character death, like Ving Rhames is like giving a speech to Haley Atwell. And I'm just like, man, I don't remember these movies being this boring. Like, you know, Dude, like they're just running just this... out of shit to do. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, because it's... I agree, man. I didn't want to fucking hear V. Dude, I love the Ving Rhames's character. He's great. I love Simon Pegg's character. He's great. Like, but I don't need to hear him freaking out over the phone like trying yeah. to tell Ethan what he's doing. That's clearly very dangerous, you know, for the hundredth time. I don't need being Rames doing this real quiet, low speech about the women that Ethan Hunt loves. And you don't understand <laughs> Ethan. Like, yeah. I, just, I don't need it anymore. No, it's, it's a good point. Like what we need to do is we need to shave these things down to a tight 90 minutes and just give us the goods, you know, like, yeah, we've the- all spent enough time with Ethan. We don't yeah. need any more Ethan Hunt exposition. We're good. Yeah, no character development, none of that shit. It's like dude, he's just... never gonna develop that train. <laughs> that, that that ship has sailed. It's over. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to get him to fuck a woman. It ain't gonna happen, folks. Because <laughs> I and, and this is coming from someone who loves the Mission Impossible series. I, I I love every movie, but it's like, come on, man. At this point, Ethan is just. Uh, you know, the mission's bigger than us. I won't accept that. How many movies has this happened in, Ethan? How many times have you said... David, it, it became a walking punchline in the show of like, oh, you've gone rogue again. It's like, oh, well, I'm always rogue. Right. That's just, that's the world I live in. I don't know, dude. It's a fun movie. I liked it, you know, but it, it left me feeling a little, it left me feeling a little empty. Yeah, if you have anything, I mean, if you have any shred of like investment in the series, you're going to get a little tired with this. But it's I mean, it's if it's on one of your free streaming services, I mean, it's it's certainly a diverting. It's certainly a diverting six hours or however long it was. Um, So 
All right, John Wick 4. This is the movie I'm assuming is probably going to be on your top 10 list at the end of the year. Um, you like this movie. I can either movie. confirm nor deny. Okay, right. Yeah, we're not we're not confirming. We're not denying. We're just uh, speculating. Considering um, I said I didn't like the last one, I think it's pretty easy to deduce. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sherlock Holmes over here. Um, they, uh, yeah. So, okay. So you like this movie a lot. Um, uh, yeah, it pretty much owns in every conceivable way. All right, we'll keep keep going. Vamp. That's it. I've already talked about. I talked about John Wick uh, Four back when I went and saw it in theaters. I love it. But what did you think? Because I, like I said, I said this on the episode that if you thought the last one was too much, and I think the second one too, I believe we talked about this. Then I told you one of the flaws you can find in this movie is it's too much. But I, I love it. I'm okay with that. Give me more. I am fine. I want to see the director's cut. I want to see the shit Stahelski cut out. I want a four-hour cut of John Wick 4. I just want him blowing people's brains out, throwing judo, like doing judo moves, kung fu, car fu, whatever the fuck. I want, I'll, I'll take all of it. I don't care. I, I respect that. I respect that. Because, okay, let me just say this. John Wick, besides the first one, has always had too much lore for me. So I guess I'm just talking about the second, third one. And I guess the fourth one does too. Too much lore, too much, and like the the the, ho- the motel, dude, the, the fucking. F- I knew I was in for a ride whenever that motherfucker shows up at the beginning, and he's like, "Your hotel has been condemned or whatever," and he pulls <laughs> he pulls out a cartoonishly large fucking hourglass and just slams it on the table. It's like okay, <laughs> like. <laughs> Dude, it's I, perfect. I mean, no, no, no. It, it, no. It, it definitely fit in with this, with the like vibe of the series. But like, that is the kind. Like, it reminds me, it, John Wick. Like the, the world it takes place in reminds me of like an affliction T-shirt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like and 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 uh, what's his name? Lawrence Fishburne is just like roaming the tunnels of new york just like i'm a bad motherfucker <laughs> dude he's just so over the top like oh also like john wick is like this unkill look i love this movie but it doesn't mean i can't i can't nitpick it john wick is like this badass assassin last movie ends with him being betrayed and f- flying off a building and the this one opens up with him like punching a post the way like a moron like me would go train you know, and it's like, John, this, this doesn't work. Like you're unkillable. And this is your training method. You're in a gi punching a post over and over again. This does not compute. Right. Yeah. He's like, I need to break my hand to get even stronger. It's like, what? (laughs) I don't know if that's necessary, but dude, this Uh, movie fucking owned the stunt work. You have to accept the, the absurdity. Like you just have to, if you accept the absurdity going in, then you'll love everything about it. And that scene where he goes, uh, I think it's, I think the video game is hotline Miami where it's like a, it's a bird's eye view where he's mm. in the house and he's got dragon breath, uh, sh- uh, shotgun shells, dude, that scene. I like, I could watch it just on repeat. It is so fucking good. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I let me just get, just to get my nitpicks out of the way. Like I, I, I like, I, I I don't like the the affliction t-shirt vibe, 
but I do respect them for committing to the bit. You know what I mean? Like, like the 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 hourglass thing was just like that's it was an eye roller, and it wasn't so much bad, but it was just so much of like, uh, here we go, we're back in John Wick world where no, <laughs> where they just have a bunch of trinkets and nothing really makes fucking sense, you know? Like, and I, like I said, it doesn't like speak to me in the same well level it does you, but. I respect the commitment to the bit. That's the first thing. The second thing is, I love the fact that this story is essentially self-contained. I didn't understand what was happening for the first like 10 minutes because it's like, okay, Lawrence Fishburne's underground. <laughs> Keanu Reeves is punching a, a wooden pole for some reason. And then he's in the <laughs> desert killing some guy who I still haven't figured out who it is. And then I feel like then the movie starts. And I'm like, all right, well, I don't know what happened, but... The movie just started about 15 minutes in, and now I'm on board. Now I understand what's going on. Um, and then from there, it tells like a completely self-contained story with with a real ass motherfucking ending, you know? Because I was kind of not dreading the movie, but I was kind of like, Jesus, three hours, John Wick four. Like I don't know if I can do this. And then like once once that first like 12 minutes of utter confusion. Because I don't remember how the fucking third movie ended. Like, after that... Should have rewatched it. <laughs> after that, like, it really tells a coherent, like, two-hour and 45-minute narrative, which I really appreciated. And that's, I mean, that, that that is completely beside the point. We know, we all know what we're here for. We're here for those motherfucking action scenes, man. I mean, I, what can you say? I mean, th- the one that I liked the most was... Um, was uh the i mean it felt like it was an hour long where he gets from underneath the subway uh and and has to make it to the church you know oh you mean like with the stairs and all that well i mean everything before that too i mean it, it yeah the whole the the, the, la- the literally last 45 minutes is one big action set piece yeah 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 it's it yeah it it, it literally is and like that like in the middle of that i was just like dude this is fucking awesome and then of course yeah he gets to the stairs and like dude i legitimately like groaned out loud when he falls down the stairs like he makes it like three quarters of the way up the stairs and then he just falls all the way back down i was just like oh man multiple like, times yeah <laughs> and dude i listened to stahelski talk about that and he was like you know this was the moment that when we were writing it i was like i'm all in on the absurdity of this like i'm a hundred percent on board he talked about buster keaton he talked about just the, abs- the like the, like the overall concept of the stairs like in falling yeah. um I don't know, man. I really appreciated that commitment. Like, and I think that if you like, that's what separates this movie from the fast and the furious series, like as redundant and in terms of action, uh, uh, movies like action series, this movie. Yeah. It's a little redundant. Things get redundant, but they're in on the bit. And like you said, for the most part, they've expanded the story, but they've kept John Wick's story pretty self-contained, you know? Right. And right. they haven't, like, quote-unquote, jumped the shark the way Fast and the Furious did, like, five movies ago. So right. I just like that aspect of it. And I just love that John Wick's solution is to always kill. Hey, John, what are you going to do? Kill them all. <laughs> Next movie. Hey, John, what do you think we should do to get out of this jam? Kill them all. This is simple <sighs> for my brain to follow. No, I'm 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 with you. And like some of the scenes stretch on for too long, like the Scott Adkins 
The Dude, that Scott Adkins, I'm so glad you brought Scott Adkins up. Oh Dude. my god. Well, I'll say this: the prelude to the Scott Adkins scene, like, was one of my like checking my watch moments in this movie. But then I was like, dude, the payoff was was way more than worth it. Like, <laughs> dude, when he's running away from him, like waddling about, like, and dude, we should, we should clarify: Scott Adkins is in a fat suit, and he's fighting John Wick as if he's just regular Scott Adkins. Like, it it is, man, it's it's really something to behold. I'll tell you this: my my favorite section. You know what? I'm sure you can guess this is the section where he's at in Japan at that hotel. Mm, um, yeah. They shot it like it was anime, the colors and the and the cherry blossom trees, and yeah. it was all beautiful. Hiroyuki Sonata, fantastic. I mean, that dude classes up anything he's in. I mean, Is that the, the, is that the dad? The yeah, o- yeah, he, he's the, the dad. Okay, yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's also the lead in the show we were texting earlier about uh, Shogun on FX. That's right. So, That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So I love this dude. Like he's been in so much stuff over the years, but man, he he always brings it. And he was so good. Like the emotional, like like the movie even manages to kind of step out a little bit of the overall camp or whatever and still make it feel emotional. Like the you could tell he was torn between helping his friend and his daughter not wanting him to, but like honor means everything. And I don't know, man, I thought they really did. They, they hit some emotional tones. Like, and I thought the end, which we will not spoil was very good. I, I mean, I, I think the movie was just a fucking home run all the way through. I will say this. They, they hit that emotional note with him and his daughter so well that I, it was like Creed. Like I caught myself thinking, why am I rooting for John Wick again? Like I obviously, I yeah, no, seriously, I agree. Yeah, like in the first one, obviously it's like, okay, was well, his his wife and dog get killed and everything, whatever. But like at this late stage in John Wick's absolute bloodbath, you're like, why did he bring? The, why did he bring the forces of evil straight to this guy's front door? Like, you know, like I don't. And and Donnie N is it's Donnie N, right? Is the blind guy? Oh, dude. Don, yeah, he he. This movie was full of heavy hitters. Man, Yin was so great. Yeah, he was so great. I was legit rooting for him at the end. Like like, I, I, like at a certain point, I was. It was the Creed thing where at a certain point, I was just like, dude, John Wick. Like, th- what? Are, you, this ain't worth it, pal. You have you have killed. I mean, how many six thousand people? <laughs> like, well, like in revenge for your wife getting killed. Like, come on, dude. Come on, you know, like, I don't know. I, I agree with you 100%. Like, the movie really did. I don't think the movie was trying to continue the idea that John Wick is still, like, the the hero of the story because he was making selfish decisions. So I think the audience was right mm. to kind of be like, yeah, I don't know if I like this, man. This dude's minding his own business, and he's going to die for you, like, literally, like, you know, and, and like they're gonna murder this other dude's daughter if you if he doesn't hunt you down. Like you're causing, and I think that was this conflict throughout the whole movie. Uh, I don't. I think you're right in, in questioning it, and and I think that's another thing the movie does well when it it's, could just continue to be a mindless action movie. It's still it it addresses these things. It's certainly more aware of the fact that the hero is becoming less likable. It's certainly more aware of that than Creed was. 
you know whereas like yeah oh yeah creed it's like again creed is hilarious because it's just like my childhood friend who i abandoned yeah i'm gonna beat the fucking shit out of you (laughs) (laughs) yeah at least john wick is like a little it's a little ambiguous of like should i be rooting for this guy he's killed like the population of a medium-sized town at this point um but no i it's not gonna be on my top 10 list just because it's you know it's just not I'm not as tapped into the mainframe when it comes to the John Wick universe. Um, that being said, I did love it. And some of those action sequences are, you know, I mean, they're, they're, there's nothing else like them being done. And it's, uh, it's an incredible feat. Uh, and it, it ends in a, it, it has a cohesive, uh, like, like, so it's a self-contained movie, which, you know, I was thinking I was going into it after I had watched Mission Impossible. And I was like, here we go the marvelification of john wick and then i was like oh they didn't marvel it it's actually it's actually just a movie that's that's awesome you know well there um, are like five spinoffs but you can ignore those i mean dude i don't i don't care what they do as long as the movie itself is self-contained you know like that's that's how low the bar is that i'm just like just let the movie itself be enough for me to get entertained you know no i get it um i'm glad you liked it though I w- I'm genuinely surprised by that because you seem like you were just kind of done with the series. I really was, man. And, and I'm telling you, like going into it, I was like, dude, three hours. I don't know if I can do this. And then it just went by like, you know, it went. I was like, man, I'm really enjoying it. I was surprised, too. I was surprised I enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed it much more than two or three. And I think it's the second best one in the series or maybe even the best one. I don't know. I, don't, I haven't seen the first one in forever. Um yeah, but, I wasn't sure if I was ready to say it's the best one because I do love the first one so much, but I do agree it's the best sequel, like hands down. Yeah, this got me back on board, like, you know, with, I don't know, whatever the spinoffs are or whatever, you know, it, it uh, yeah, it, it won me back. As, as someone who, like, you know, wants to be in on a cool action franchise, I'm I'm back in on, on John Wick now, so. um, I want to say... I'm trying to look it up to see. Oh yeah, the uh, the actress that you have a love affair with is going to be uh, in ballerina. Wait, which one? Anna de Armas. Oh, ho, ho, ho. greatest movie of all time, upcoming. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, dude, apparently she, she's had she... a little bit of a light load lately, man. She hasn't she hasn't been in anything for a minute. So yeah, very excited to uh, see her pop up again. Oh really? I haven't noticed. Mm. Um. Anyway, don't besmirch. Don't 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 get into this now. Don't. But uh, yeah, she plays. She, this is going to take place between John Wick three and John Wick four. And it uh, it's going to it's something about the ballerina school where they're dancers and also assassins, because that makes perfect sense. <laughs> so, <laughs> Dude, I'm on board, man. If it's I mean, you know, speaking of brainless action shit, if you're going to turn all of the cool guys doing action stunts into hot women like you know sign me up uh yeah, i'm fine with that taunt blonde was fun so yeah um let's get to our main features because uh is that all you had for what you've been watching yeah yeah everything else we're gonna spread out <laughs> you know across january and stuff so i was struggling to come up with an idea because i didn't want to do christmas movies again so i let my co-host know but he gave me a great idea let's do something involving new year's eve or new year's in general and it was a good opportunity to revisit a classic that is still utterly amazing and a fair to remember from 1957 
And it was a chance to watch a movie I've never seen before because it looked boring as fuck called The Phantom Thread. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just called Phantom Thread. I was hoping you'd take the bait. Um, (laughs) Oh, God damn it. So Phantom Thread, and I wasn't joking. I did think it looked boring, but I, but I, 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 it wasn't like, oh, fuck that movie. It looks boring. I'm never watching it. I just never really thought about it, but it was on Netflix. So this, this worked out well. Um, so let's, I, I don't know how much meat is on the bone for an affair to remember because there's only so many great things we can say about, you know, arguably the greatest actor of all time. Um, but let's, let's talk about an affair to remember a little bit from 1957, basically a couple falls in love while they're on, um, a, a voyage going to Europe or, or New York and, uh, they agreed to meet at the Empire State Building in six months if they still feel that way because both of them are engaged because this was the 50s and you can't have both of them being married. That's adultery. Mm. So so they're engaged. <laughs> so it's okay to dump your fiance for no you know real reason except for you fell in love with this lady killer while on a voyage. Uh, but yeah, just not be married. So anyway, Leo McCary... Uh, wrote this or co-wrote it and directed it deborah kerr carrie grant uh dude come on like carrie grant in this role does it get any better deborah kerr plays off of him so well when they're on the boat like i know some people say this movie's a little cheesy it's like i don't give a fuck this movie works for me on every level it still owns and i love it i'll say this i you know i have an interesting history with this movie because um, I watched it for the first time, probably, I don't know, a long time ago, you know, probably maybe 10 or 12 years ago, um, probably 12 years ago, actually. Um, and I remember being so smitten with the movie when they're on the boat, right? Like I was the first, I don't know, 45 minutes or so. You know, I remember just being so taken by it. And it's it's hard not to be. I mean, it's like you said, it's Cary Grant, it's Deborah Kerr. They're, it, it's one of those capital M movie settings. You know what I mean? Just rich people on a on an ocean liner going from Europe to New York and, you know, falling two people falling in love. And I mean, just just practically perfect in every way. Right. But then I thought that the the second half of the movie was just kind of melodramatic and didn't really live up to this kind of sparkling, almost like romantic comedy of the first half. Right. And then I saw the movie again about five years later, uh, maybe five to seven years later. I don't know when it was. And by that time I had attuned myself to some of the other movies of the fifties, some of the melodramas of the fifties, specifically the work of like Douglas Sirk. Right. And after I had kind of that experience, that's when I really fell in love with this movie, because once you embrace the melodrama, because that that can be a hurdle, I feel like, for some people, it was a hurdle for me. uh, I think that's a hurdle for a lot of old classics, though, like a lot of people struggle to get to get past that, that 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 melodramatic concept. I think so too. And, and, and because the fifties were specifically a time when uh, movies were, were kind of hyper focused towards target audiences because, you know, TV was coming in um, and movie studios felt threatened. And you can see that also in the widescreen, the beautiful widescreen 
um, compositions of this movie. <clears throat> but m- movies were also beginning to be like hyper focused towards target audiences, right? And one of those was like the woman's picture, right? The melodrama. And so instead of like say Casablanca, right, in the '40s, or you know, uh, uh, Meet Me in St. Louis in the '30s, or whatever. Instead of a movie like that having kind of melodramatic elements as an element of like an overall, you know, kind of mass-produced, made for everybody kind of movie, then they would just focus on the melodrama and dial it up to a thousand, right? And I feel like it takes kind of a sophisticated viewer who understands what they're watching to really get it you know what i mean i mean todd haynes has made a whole career out of um you know deconstructing and and examining um this specific era in cinema history right and an affair to remember is uh i would say a precursor to the blossoming of those 50s melodramas um anyways all that being said now of course i am awake to the masterpiece of this movie and it really feels like it is in two halves. You know, the first half is this sparkling, you know, pink champagne, uh, uh, effervescent, you know, kind of romantic comedy. And then the second half is this devastating melodrama. And it just works, you know? Like, it's just perfect. It's just a perfect movie, you know? Yeah, there's not really a whole lot of rhyme or reason that you can give to this movie or, 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 or like be like, I, I can't tell you why it works because you're right. The movie is cut in two. Right. But I think, I think that works because the entire shift of the movie, the entire tone of the movie shifts when, when she has the accident. And I think right. that, I think that works. I think it's just, I think it does exactly what it's intended to do. Um, I don't know, man. I, I just, I, I've, I've loved this movie. I watched this movie the first time when I was a kid and mm. I loved it because Cary Grant was so charming and he's charming in everything, but that doesn't matter because that's just what he does, you know? Um, yeah. But so, this is like, this is like real charming Cary Grant. You know what I mean? Like this. Is, oh yeah. This is top three charming Cary Grant. I don't know what else is in that top three, but this is in there, you know? Well, it's really funny watching it. You know, when you watch, when you look at, the the subject matter is just really kind of similar and funny to me because you look at arsenic and old lace and he's mm. like this anti-marriage writer and right. he's getting hitched and everybody's like, Oh my God, can you believe it? And in this it's like, Oh my God, can you believe he's getting married? And it's just really funny. Cause it's like, it literally became a bit in his career of how handsome and charming he was. Right. And it's just, right. it's just really that that's another reason why it works. Cause it's funny to me. Yeah, I mean, he plays, he plays, uh, I mean, what is it, royalty, you know, like, or some kind of like uh, big time, uh, you know, ladies, ma- ladies, man, you know, Italian uh, socialite or whatever. And it's like, dude, who, who better than Cary Grant? <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah, I don't know. And Deborah Kerr is like, her comedic timing is so like good. And so like plays off of him. Like it really is one of the, I feel like it's underrated in kind of rom-com pairings because the movie isn't, doesn't turn out to be a romantic comedy. Right. But like for the first like 45 minutes or first hour or so, whatever it is, like they're really bouncing off each other with the best of them. You know what I mean? Like 
just like uh, Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy, or just like, you know, Cary Grant and any number of, 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 uh, you know, roles he had like in the thirties with like screwball comedies or whatever. Um, yeah, it's, it's a perfect movie. I don't, I don't know really what else to say about it. this is a, this, this movie is a Jesus lives in your heart or he doesn't. Um, and wait a second, remind me, what is the new year's thing that happens in this movie? I just watched it and I can't. Um, you know, it's hilarious. Oh, well, I can't, I, I know Christmas, the new year, like, like I was watching it and, and I was like, Hey, you said something about, I couldn't remember a new year's theme connected to an affair to remember, but he like visits her and brings her something for Christmas. And like, there's a big deal that the Chris, the kids are going to do the Christmas program and all that. And I was like, you know, I don't, uh, yeah, it was just really, it was funny. It's cause like I watched Phantom Thread first. I watched it before I revisited Unfair to Remember. And Phantom Thread has a very specific New Year's Eve scene. So I just thought right. that was funny. Yeah, but Affair to Remember doesn't have it, does it? No, it has the it has the Christmas theme, um, but not the but not a New Year's theme. Yeah, but either way, it works close enough. And mainly, it was just an excuse to revisit this movie and talk about how great it is. Because I think sometimes movies like this, even with Cary Grant being in it, they kind of you know fall to the wayside because there's so many movies out there like this. And oh yeah, you know, like when you start looking at all the movies he did. Um, sometimes you're like, okay, well, maybe a fair to remember is not worth revisiting, or maybe it's not worth watching because I haven't heard it talked about as much as North by Northwest or Charade or the Philadelphia Story or whatever the fuck, you know? Um, and this movie is just, it's, it's so great, man. Like everything, the tone of the movie when they go to visit his grandmother, like how she is and, you know, how, how she is past the accident when he goes to visit and find out that she passed, like, um, and then how Deborah Kerr acts after the accident, how she didn't want to tell him, dude, when they see each other in the movie theater to this day, that's such a devastating scene. Mm, yeah. Like, because you're like, what the actual fuck? Like you can't say anything. And honestly, and, and you know, clearly you were told earlier that she would, ne- she would probably never walk again, but they don't show the wheelchair until everyone leaves the auditorium and they <sighs> bring it in. So then you're like, okay, well, I heard this like 15 or 20 minutes ago, but now I'm seeing it. And then, of course, the end when he when he opens the bedroom door and and he starts crying, dude, the whole movie fucking rock. Like, I don't you know, I'm not a big romantic like, you know, I I'm not a huge fan of outside of Hollywood classics. I'm not a huge fan of watching like true romance movies, but this is a romance love story through and through that Mm. holds up in every way. No, couldn't have said it better. And also, just a, a little last one, little detail there. It also does kind of an, have an interesting lineage because um, it's the original. I think it, it's a remake technically because there's a movie called Love Affair with Irene Dunn and Charles Boyer uh, from the 30s that this was basically a remake of. And then, of course, we have uh, two modern examples of this. One of them is Sleepless in Seattle, and the other one is You've Got Mail that are um heavily inspired or no 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 not you've got you've got me on shop around the corner sleepless in seattle which is uh not exactly a pure remake but is very heavily inspired by this movie oh that's cool okay well yeah i I will have to uh i I never connected that dot really so yeah 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 sleepless in seattle is uh yeah very very heavily influenced by this movie um I can't even remember. I think I, I want to say I saw that movie like 20 years ago. 
but I've never revisited it. It's a good rom-com. It's uh, I mean, I think it is. It was, um, and you've got mail, uh, was, you know, kind of like sleepless in Seattle. It's kind of like an affair to remember and, uh, shop around the corner kind of mesh into one. And it's, uh, one of my, one of my favorite rom-coms ever, but yeah, that's what the sh- uh, shop around the corner reminded me of, of you've got mail, like the whole, the whole letter gimmick and all that. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Phantom thread. Yeah. So Phantom Thread, 2017, Paul Thomas Anderson, set in the 1950s, London. Uh, Reynolds Woodcock is a renowned dressmaker. You ever seen that movie Woodcock with, uh, with uh, what's his face? Uh, Billy Bob Thornton. I have not. Just wondered. Uh, yeah. I thought that's what I thought of every time I heard his name. Is a renowned dressmaker whose uh, fastidious I life. Else, but. <laughs> is disrupted by a young, strong-willed woman, Alma, who becomes his muse and lover. You know what? I'm about fucking tired of Daniel Day-Lewis's bullshit. I'll say that. <laughs> I'll say that first and fucking foremost, you know? Like, dude, I like you were great as Bill the Butcher. You've been great. I loved you as Lincoln. But you know what I'm fucking... You know, I'm just saying what a lot of people are thinking. We're tired of your bullshit. We're tired of you in general. You just need to fucking retire and stay retired this time. He was fine, uh, okay? He was fine. The movie was fine. I get it. I know all the prestige that surrounds it. But for half, no, I'm sorry. For three quarters of this movie, I just wanted to bitch slap him, bitch slap him through a wall. Well. <laughs> I know that came off as a little aggressive, but this movie raised my blood pressure, I think. But I will yeah, say this. I mean. Real, oh, sorry, real quick, before, before you go, I have to say this. One thing I liked about him that I respected is he told it how it was. You know, he didn't he, he didn't beat around the bush. The very beginning when, when that woman's talking to him and he's like, I can't, I have to do this. Uh, I have to make this dress or whatever the fuck he was doing. He's like, I can't deal with confrontation right now. And like, <laughs> he just gets up and he's like, I just can't deal with confrontation at breakfast and just walks out of the room. <laughs> It's like, okay, this dude, right now, he rocks, but that changed like five around. minutes into the movie. Yeah. Um, man, oh, man. I love this movie so much. I mean, I, I just, okay, let, let's start out with, uh, you know, I'm not going to go on and on and on and on about it, but like one of the things that I love about this movie is, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson's, I guess, <laughs> if you overuse this phrase, but I guess his commitment to the bit with creating this like elegant uh refined atmosphere right around this uh fashion house and i I think he originally got interested in by reading about the i I don't know this guy's first name but balenciaga whoever the fuck started balenciaga that guy um he was reading about that guy and got interested in you know what what must it be like what what was that guy's life like you know what was um what drove him you know that kind of thing and we have this portrait of daniel day lewis as a man who is an a, a supremely renowned artist right i don't know anything about fashion but i do know his work is very clearly beautiful right and it, there's an attention to detail there's a you know he he has inspiration from his mother and it's just this is a this is an artist with a capital A, right? Whose work is um, highly coveted, highly sought after. And what kind of life must he lead? He leads a life that is perfectly cultivated, 
high class, you know, um, and, and I think the movie evokes that on every level, right? Johnny Greenwood, uh, who is a member of Radiohead, who has done some of the most incredible uh, music scores of the 21st century, you know, he usually works in like experimental, uh, very strident tones, like in There Will Be Blood. Not this movie. Not He literally is is writing basically string quartet music and and kind of lilting, you know, Chopin piano uh, sonatas and stuff uh, to accompany all of this like refined air. Um, and not the artist as the artist as a master of refined aristocratic sensibility. Right. Which I think is important. Right. I think that a lot of people forget that, like, especially in our in our modern age and kind of like the post uh you know renaissance idea of the artist and human nature or whatever dude a lot of art was literally originally created because rich people were bored right a lot of the greatest paintings and a lot of the greatest sculpture and a lot of the greatest art to ever exist is because of bored rich people right and who didn't have anything to do with their excess money you know what i mean and i think that is a huge part of this movie it's aristocratic it's high class it almost hilariously so actually i would say hilariously so um and everything about the movie is focused on this right from the the font and the title and i remember he had this thing he had this thing where he would ask uh, certain theaters to play like a list of songs as people were like sitting down to watch the movie you know for the for like 30 minutes beforehand or whatever um you know, so it was it was to set the mood and set the tone that this is this is going to be an we're entering a world of elevation, arist, aristocracy and class or whatever. And what is necessary for this guy to live this lifestyle? It is order, clockwork, focus. Um, he clearly has these muses who flit in and out of his life, but he acquires them and disposes of them with the same clockwork efficiency and then comes alma this german woman with uh a plodding gait uh as he says no breasts uh and his sister says a little belly to her uh and she comes in and says this fastidious aristocratic high class highly controlled man in his life i'm going to own it i'm going to take it for myself and i don't know man it this is just the most watchable shit imaginable for me i love it i love how fastidious and his his dedication to his craft and all that shit early on in the movie and then i love how alma just take just goes into him and possesses him heart and soul like it is, I don't know, man. I love it. I love this movie. I don't know what to say. I mean, I don't like any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, this movie is not for me and I'm not talking shit about the movie, but I'm just saying this movie is not for me. I couldn't really connect to anything. I re I really didn't like him. Honestly, I didn't really care for her. I hate this whole thing. The best, the best scene in the whole movie to me that I love so much. And in that, and in this moment, I was like, this shit right here rocks is when they go drag that dress off that lady. Dude. Like, he's like, let me in the fucking house. And she's like, no, she's sleeping. He's like, we're getting that fucking dress off of her. 
No, she he goes, fucking goes in there and like rolls her around and like te- she tears the dress off of her. Dude, it's so incredible. And like the, the, it's such a great moment too because Alma is mad. Alma is the one who directs that. She's like, "You're gonna let that. You're gonna let that fucking cow disrespect your work <laughs> like that." And he's like, "You know what? I'm actually not gonna allow that to happen." And it's so funny when he goes, he goes, "Go tell her to take it off." And it, it's like she's sleeping, and he just goes, "In the dress, she's sleeping." <laughs> like. <laughs> Dude, and there, I feel like there's so many funny moments like that where, like, he tries to, like, mouth off to, like, his sister, and she's like, if you come at me, I will fucking destroy you. <laughs> my, well, my, like, I agree with the humor. He tells the doctor when he's sick to fuck off. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. then when he sees him at a party, he's like, I'm sorry if I was rude to you or whatever. He's like, oh, that's fine. I've been called worse by better or some shit. And then there was a pause, and he's like, didn't I tell you to fuck off? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> but he didn't. But he didn't say it like he was asking the question. Like, didn't I tell you to fuck off? He was saying it like he was telling him again. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was just really, really good. Um, he, he, to- he said it like, you know what? I actually just reconsidered. You can fuck <laughs> off, actually. <laughs> so the scene, the New Year's Eve scene is when she says, I want to go party. And he's like, fuck off. I've got to work. Yeah. So she goes and he like goes to the party to drag her home, essentially. Right. Um, yeah, dude, we, I don't. But, but then we get kind of like a flash forward almost toward the end that really recoll- the like calls back to that New Year's scene where they're dancing with the balloons all around. Yeah. You know, and that I think that that was the moment I thought of. And actually, I had it mixed up. I thought I didn't realize that was kind of like a flash forward. I thought that actually happened in the movie, but it doesn't. You're right. He just drags her out. That's not a nice memory at all. But my memory of it is of them dancing and basically her, you know, conquering this beast of a man and and making him hers, you know, um, and th- I, that I is did actually the memory. I did really like that when she basically, I mean, essentially asserts her dominance. Right. Their entire relationship changes. And then you're like, oh, well, fuck. Now it's kind of sad that you're going to die. So <laughs> but then he but, but the, the moment in the movie, because I remember like. It's it's such a remember the first time I watched it. It's such an unusual movie, and you kind of keep thinking, "Where the fuck is this going?" And the breaking point or the climax of the movie to me is when he—I forget what he says—but he says something to acknowledge that he knows she's poisoning him, and it's 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 dramatic, and it's kind of like a gothic, you know, uh, you know, it's like a nineteenth-century novel like plot element. But it's also, he's just, he's just giving up to her. You know what I mean? Like, he's just like, you, you've won. You've conquered me. I'm yours now, you know? And like, I don't know, man. It's not, it's not exactly a love story and it's kind of creepy on some level, but there's something about it that just works. I feel like, I mean, for me at least, um, I'd fucking poison him too. So (laughs) Um, he is such a fucking asshole throughout this whole movie, man. Uh, I, I'm not joking. I really am tired of Daniel Day Lewis. You know, I just, uh, I just need him to, to just, just stop working. Okay, <laughs> we're just, we're tired of it. We're done, dude. It's so, it's so funny. This is like probably one of my favorite Daniel Day Lewis performances. Um, I mean, clearly he, my favorite is him as Bill the Butcher because he was so great at it. And it, but um, 
I loved yeah, him see, at Lincoln. Bill the Butcher, that's it's so funny. We have different reactions. Bill the, I think about Bill the Butcher, and I'm that's the movie that makes me exasperated with him. Because he's got that phony New York accent, and he's just like, I don't know, it's just so over the top. Like, I'm like, all right, buddy, you can chill out a little bit, you know. Dude, Bill the Butcher owns in that movie. Not now outside the movie, his personal politics I do not abide by, but in the movie, <laughs> in the movie. He's a fun character. He's insane, and I love That's it. True. I also, I love my left foot. If we want to go old school, Daniel Day Lewis, like, um, okay, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm not completely anti Daniel Day Lewis, but this movie legitimately did piss me off. <laughs> well, and what a way to end the year. And honestly, like, that's not the first PTA movie to piss me off. Um, shit, man, I can't remember. Uh, can't remember the name. anyway. I I really do have a love hate relationship with him because like he made Punch Drunk Love, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Like it's such a fucking great movie. But then he'll make something like this, and I'll just be like, if I ever see PT, I'm gonna punch him in the face. See, I uh, I I I really like PTA, but uh, with Licorice Pizza, I'm like, hmm, I think he may be starting to coast a little bit. Which I mean, it's fine. I enjoyed Licorice Pizza, but like, I enjoyed it too, actually. Yeah, but I, but, I, but I'm just like I just have the subtle feeling of like, hmm, are you mailing it in? Because it feels like you're starting to mail it in a little bit, you know. And Inherent Vice, I kind of felt the same way a little bit. But dude, Phantom Thread, Phantom Thread, I was like, oh man, he's cooking here. Like it's so uncharacteristic with the rest of his work. With the rest of his work, I feel like. And um, I don't know, man. I, I I love this movie. There was one last thing I was gonna say that absolutely kills me in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not even something he says, but it's you you know how it's when they're on their honeymoon, and she is like eating the thing and like crunching and scraping her knife on the plate. Oh, that you, part even made me like yeah. fuck stop, Jesus Christ! I know, but there's such it's such a great reaction shot because like you can tell it annoys him, but he's holding it in. You know, and he's just kind of like staring intently at his newspaper, and then he just goes, <sighs> like he just, <laughs> like he just blows air, like just the deepest sigh. And dude, it is, oh man, it's so funny. Like, because you can see he's just like, I don't know if I can fucking take this shit. Like, <laughs> oh man, it's such a great scene. Um, I guess like he just the the whole premise of the movie falls short for me because I don't consider him a true artist. Like see, with what th- with what he was doing. Like I, I don't know. It, it had a little bit of whiplash vibes as well. Like this false pursuit of perfection that ultimately you'll never achieve, but you're okay with destroying every relationship in your life trying to get there because you know it's never gonna happen. Like it's kind of a, a it eats you alive. Right, right. Well, yeah, no, I can, I can see that. See, I actually thought that would be the one thing that you would be able to lock onto is the, the artist at work. Um, but yeah, I guess not. I don't know. Um, I'm glad I watched it. Like, this is not one of those movies, like all jokes aside, this is not one of those movies where I'm like, fuck, that was a waste of time. Like, no, I'm, it's been on my list a while. I wanted to watch it. I needed to watch it. So I was really glad to just know what it is now and to know what, what type, what the movie is and all that. So it's just, it's just not my cup of tea, but that is not a surprise. A PTA is just not, he's just not that guy for me. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, this movie is made in a lab for me personally. I feel like, um, uh, so, you just yeah. love all the, the Royal little rich bitches. Don't you? 
I really do. I really do. I'm a little fancy boy at heart. What can I say? Um, I'm fucking having a podcast with Little Lord Fauntleroy over here. <laughs> you know, and well, one of the things I like about it too is the fact that like so many movies about artists are like about their evolution as artists or whatever. This movie has like nothing to do with his evolution as an artist. Like we are led to believe that he basically doesn't really produce anything good after he, uh, after Alma starts poisoning him. Right. Like the only thing she says is that she takes a more active role in the dressmaking. Does he even produce any like good work or anything? Like we don't even know that. Like we get, we, we are introduced to him at the peak of his powers and then he just gets destroyed by this woman, like in both a good and a bad way. It's like, I don't know. I've never seen a movie like this. I've never seen a movie where a guy just, th- this guy is just functioning at like, you know what I mean? Like imagine this put in another setting. Imagine like you make a movie about, you know, an Olympic swimmer who's like a gold medal and he's eaten, you know, he's eaten, he's got the regimented eating and all that stuff and he's working out and he's, and then, like, he falls in love with a woman, and then she subsequently destroys his life and career. <laughs> Dude, can you imagine what a fucking movie that would be? You know? Like, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, Phantom Thread, you know? Uh, it, Jesus either lives in your, in your heart or he doesn't with this one. And uh, he's living in my heart with, with Phantom Thread. Well, I do agree that it's it, it's it's hard to think of another movie that, that can match this movie. So I do agree with that a hundred percent. All right. Well, next to no new year's content, really neither of these movies. <laughs> yeah. Really great idea. I appreciate you. Uh, really giving me this good idea. <laughs> well, we've got a whole month of my idea coming up next. So, uh, I'm really about to enter a, it, it'll be a comeback or it'll be just the losing streak continues. Either one. It's going to be like a dumb and dumber situation when he rolls up on that scooter. And he's like, I traded, I traded it for the hog. <laughs> he's like, you completely redeemed yourself. Uh, oh man, what a line. Anyway, okay, guys. Well, hope you had a great Christmas or whatever you celebrate. Holiday, we'll say. Uh, hope you have a good New Year's, and we will uh, be back next week with a fun episode, which should be a fun episode. Uh, I'll say. Uh, do you have anything to add before we get out of here? No, let's wrap it up. This is our final episode of 2023, by the way. So that's right. Yeah. Last, last of the, last of the heap. So clearly I'm depending on the college educated person to have thought of something sophisticated and nice to end the year on, but you let me down again. So, um, I'll, I'll just say one of my favorite toasts, uh, from, I think probably one of the, the most well-spoken, you know, arbiters of our time, um, over the gums, through the lips, Watch out, stomach. Here we go. Wow. A college-educated writer just just gave us that. So thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Anyway, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, We'll see you next year here at the Silver Screen Video.